Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. The DNA of community. We've been taking a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And every week we've been going through those verses verse by verse. I'm going to be picking up where Pastor Bobby left off last week. We're going to be looking at verse 45 in Acts chapter 2. We know that we are living in the 21st century, but we believe that God has called our church to have an Acts 2 heart. Can I hear an amen from somebody if you believe that? So we're fixing to read it out, but before we do that, we're going to read the community creed out together on the count of three. You can just say it along with me. You got your syllabus with you? Awesome. If you want a syllabus, go to the Connect Center. We have those available back there. Let's read it out on the count of three. You ready? One, two, three. I was not created to live isolated. I was created for community. The church isn't just a building I go to. It's a family I belong to. We are called to love, encourage, and lift up each other as we do life together. God is pleased by our unity and service to each other. It is Jesus that brings us together and binds us together. Say the last, last part out loud. We are the church. Come on, if you believe that. Thank you, Jesus. Now let's take a look at verse 45. One verse for you this morning. And it says this. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Let's read it one more time. And they sold their, what? Possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. The subtitle for today's message, if you want to remember it, write it down, is needs are met in community. Needs are met in community. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, let's get to work this morning. Let's get to work this morning. You can go ahead and take a seat. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You know, a key verse that we hold near and dear to our hearts here at Riverside Church is Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. In fact, we have it on the wall right here to my right. It says this, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And it continues to say that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaves do not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. We believe that that is what God has called the church to look like today, to be a people that are planted and rooted in his word his spirit, and his church. To be people that bear the fruit of the spirit in their lives like love, joy, and peace. To be a people that don't wither away whenever adversity or persecution comes, but to be a people that prosper whatever God has called us to do. You were called to stand strong, to stand tall, to be planted, to be rooted, to stand firm like a tree. But I don't know where your mind goes to whenever you think of a tree because we have a lot of different types of trees here in Texas. Let me show you a picture real quick. This is the church property with all these different trees that were on the church property uh, before we cleared off the trees for your next church home. Come on, isn't that exciting, y'all? So whenever I talk about tree, I'm not talking about the ugly Wesatch trees that we have all over Texas. Those are all called Wesatch trees. Now, maybe you're not familiar with these types of trees, but they are very annoying. You won't believe how many times we cut ourselves out there because these these trees are known for having thorns on them and they're known for being invasive. If you have property, you do not want these trees to grow on your property because they will multiply and spread like crazy. And in fact, one of the things that they're known for is that they are known 
for killing other trees and plants around them because they choke out and hoard the nutrients that are within the ground and that are coming around the other plants. They hoard them to themselves so that way the other things around them, you know, they can't get what they need in order to prosper, in order to produce fruit, in order to grow. And I can't tell you how happy we were whenever we cleared all these wee satch trees out from the church property. I'm telling you what, it made us so happy. And you know, they say there's two different types of people in the world. There's a person that brings joy wherever they go, and then there's a person that brings joy whenever they go. If you're the type of person that brings joy whenever you go, when you walk outside, you may just be like a wee sats tree. But let me share with you what I envision for us to be like whenever I read Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. Put the picture on the screen, y'all. Here's the next picture. These are called redwood trees. Somebody say redwood trees. These trees are known as one of the tallest trees on planet Earth. They grow up to 350 feet tall and weigh as much as 500 tons. 2,000 pounds each. 500 tons. A ton is 2,000 pounds. Crazy. And they live for hundreds and hundreds of centuries. And these trees were made to be able to withstand strong winds, obviously, earthquakes, storms, fires, whatever you can think of. They're made to withstand it. Flooding, these trees are absolutely incredible, aren't they? Aren't they just beautiful? I just want to go. I've never seen one in person, but, but I, I want to go see one of these trees. But here's what's interesting. These trees, for being so tall, their roots only go about 10 feet into the ground. Only about 10 feet in the ground, but yet they're so massive. How could the tallest tree have roots that just go about 10 feet into the ground? Get this. This is how. And this blew my mind whenever I was studying and, and praying and getting ready. These trees, their roots go into the ground, but they spread out and they're interwoven and intersecting with one another as they grow close together. And what's happening right now in this picture, these trees are literally holding each other up. And what's amazing about this is that these trees, not only are their roots intersecting, but because they're interconnecting, they share the nutrients and resources that they have with one another to make sure that no other redwood trees around them are lacking. So if there's a redwood tree by a river, that one redwood tree will allow the nutrients and the water to flow through its roots to go to the next tree, to go to the next tree, to go to the next tree, to make sure the tree that's further away gets some water. You already know where I'm going this morning, church. Can I tell you something? God has called Riverside Church and God has called the church not to be like we sat trees that hoard the blessings of God to ourselves. God has called our church to be like a redwood tree forest that allows the blessings of God to flow through us to make sure that other people that are in need have their needs met. No, I think I don't think you heard me. You weren't blessed to be bloated. You were blessed to be a blessing. You weren't blessed to be a reservoir. You were blessed to be a river so that way you can be a blessing to other people. You know, Proverbs chapter 11 verse 25 tells us that a generous person will prosper. That he who waters others will also be watered themselves. Let me go a step further. There shouldn't be one active family here at Riverside Church that is trying to do what they can do and still struggling to meet their needs. Because God has called us to be like this, where if a church family member is hurting 
and struggling and in need, we are willing to rally together to lift them up and keep them up and love for them and care for them. We're called to care for one another. And that doesn't mean we take advantage of each other. That doesn't mean that we abuse generosity. All I'm trying to say is this. Pastor Bobby said it earlier. I think it's great for us to pray for each, other need, for each other's needs. If somebody's in need, I'm going to pray. I'm going to agree with you that God's going to meet that need. But could it be possible that God wants to use you to be an answer to that prayer and to be an answer to that need? I'm reminded of a while back, there's somebody in our church that was diagnosed with cancer. And they were behind on their bills and behind on their medical bills. And they didn't know what they were going to do. And whenever we heard about it, we felt led by God to take up a special offering on a Sunday. And many of you came up and gave in, in one service. Within a few minutes, we were able to bless her with thousands of dollars to cover all of her medical. Oh, come on, somebody. To cover the bills that she had at the time. And you should have seen the tears of joy streaming down her face. She couldn't believe I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. It's okay. You don't have to say nothing. Do I owe you? No, we, you don't owe us back anything. We love you. We, we, we love you. It's okay. Everything's going to be all right. We're with you. We're standing alongside of you. Come on, y'all. We cannot be a church that turns a blind eye from the person next to us or behind us or beside us. We have to know one another, care for one another. The Bible says to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's the kind of church I want to belong to. I want to go to the type of church where people care about my needs and issues and struggles and they have enough compassion to take action and do what they can, moved by the Holy Spirit to be a blessing to other people. Come on, do we have a church like that? Thank you, God. And that's the kind of church that we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 45. Put it back on the screen, y'all. Verse 45, and it says this, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This was the culture of the early church. The nation of Israel was being oppressed by Rome, the Roman government. And in order for them to survive, they had to learn how to share. Acts 4 tells it like this. Acts 4 says that nobody in the church lacked because there were people that even felt led to sell their property and even houses at times to lay at the apostles' feet to be distributed to whoever had need. We see another powerful instance of the church's generosity in Acts chapter 11 where the church in Antioch heard about a famine happening in Jerusalem and they responded by everybody gathering together and getting resources, supplies, and food together to send to the Christians living in Jerusalem so that way they wouldn't be without. And that's so powerful to think about what they did. And do you know what that shows me about the early church? That shows me that the church, the church valued people valued God, had more love for Jesus, had more love for other people around them, their community, than they did for their possessions. They loved Jesus and other people more than their possessions, where they said, okay, you know what? Is there a need there? I'm going to help out. I'm going to contribute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a blessing to them. And if we want to be the type of church that operates like that and function like, functions like that, we cannot allow possessions to possess our hearts. 
And that's my first point for you this morning. Possessions weren't meant to possess you. I know it's very simple, but many people have a lifetime battling and fighting this one point right here because they're going through life and they have stuff and there's nothing wrong with having stuff, but stuff wasn't meant to grab a hold of your heart. And the issue is we live in a materialistic society where all that matters is matter, where we put emphasis on how much money we have in our bank account, how much money we have invested into the stock market, how much money we have saved for retirement, which I think all those things are great, what kind of vehicle that we drive around, what kind of house we live at, what neighborhood, what suburb are you at, what part of town are you at. We put so much emphasis on stuff, and many of us will go out and buy things to try to impress other people and even try to impress other people that we don't even get along with in life. What, what are we doing? Right? And the same thing was happening in Jesus' day. He knew this. He knew that sometimes we can allow possessions to possess our hearts. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, to not store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy them and where thieves can break in and steal, but rather store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy them, where thieves cannot break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I know this is so practical, and some of you are like, oh my gosh, I thought it was at you know, the adult service, not in Sunday school. But we need to be reminded. You know, the Bible says to be childlike, but not to be childish. We need to get back to these basics right now. And as I think about possessions possessing us, I can't help but to think about the young rich ruler in Luke chapter 18. And if you haven't heard the story, I'm going to unpack it for you this morning because I believe that there's things that we can grab a hold of during this story. Maybe you heard it in Sunday school. In Luke chapter 18, we find this rich, young ruler. So he was part of a royal line. Some people speculate that he was actually a prince. And he approaches Jesus one day as Jesus is ministering. And he says this. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit? Notice the word inherit. Because for that man, everything in his life was about inheritance, entitlement, what he was born into. He said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life. And if you read the whole story, you'll find out he had a religious disposition, a religious mindset, a work-based faith. And Jesus responded back by saying, good, why do you, talk, why do you call me good? Don't you realize that, that nobody is good except for God alone? But you need to understand, Jesus wasn't denying his divinity, his divinity or his deity. He was really challenging the ruler's perspective of him as just a good teacher because we know that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher or good man. Jesus is a God man. He's saying, you're calling me good. You're equating me with God. Am I really just a teacher to you? Don't you know that only God is good? So Jesus responds to this religious question and religious mindset with a religious answer. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. 
And the rich young ruler responds back by saying, I've done all those things since I was young. I've kept all those commandments since I was youth. I'm so good. I'm good enough for heaven by myself and my own good works. He, notice how proud he was of himself. And that's what religion will do to you. Religion will make you proud of yourself, but a relationship will make you proud of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, all right, you want to play this game? You want to see how far you can? Let, let's, let's play this game. So he says, one thing you lack, sell all of your possessions, give it to the poor so that way you can have a treasure in heaven, and then follow after me. And that was like a blow to the self-esteem of the rich young ruler. He's like, Ugh. And it says that he looked down in sadness, and he walked away grievingly because he had many possessions. And that's when Jesus turned around to his disciples, and he made such a strong statement. He said, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples, when they heard that, they were at a loss for words. They were shocked. And there's different schools of thought as to what people believe Jesus meant. By saying that, some people believe that by the eye of a needle, Jesus was really talking about a short and narrow entrance found within the wall surrounding Jerusalem that if a camel had to go through, it would first have to squat down, crouch down, and strip off the saddles and bags in order to go through it. But the problem is there's no historical evidence to prove that such a gate and entrance even existed. Other people think that Jesus... Whenever he said that or whenever the author wrote down the words of Jesus that they made a misspelling or they made an error in the writing because the Greek word for camel and the Greek word for cable are very similar. So people were saying, well, you know what? He meant to say, you know, the author meant to say cable. But the thing is that cast doubt on the inerrancy and inspiration of scripture. So whenever Jesus said camel, he was talking about a literal camel, the largest animal in that region at the time. And he was talking about the literal eye of a sewing needle. It was a figure of speech that Jesus was trying to give to get a point across. Now listen. Whenever the disciples heard that, they were in shock and in awe because during that time, wealth was seen as proof of God's approval over somebody's life. And it was commonly taught that the wealthier, wealthier you are, the more favored and chosen and blessed you are by God. And they even taught them saying, you know, if you're rich, if you're wealthy, you have a higher chance and you're more likely of a candidate to get into heaven than those that are less fortunate. So whenever the disciples heard Jesus say this statement, they said, oh my goodness, Jesus, then who in the world can be saved? Who can go to heaven? And I love it because Jesus responds back with an even stronger statement. He says, with people, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. In other words, thank you, Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus was trying to get the point across that you can't get to heaven by your own good works, your own good deeds, your own charity, how good you are. The answer is not found in yourself like the rich young ruler thought. It's only by the grace of a mighty and holy God. So Jesus was trying to get the ruler to the end of himself and make him realize it's not based off of what you can do. It's based off of what I have done. 
and what I am doing. And Jesus, notice, he called the rich young ruler to follow after him. He said, hey, follow after me, because possessions possess his heart. And that was a specific calling from Jesus. So I'm not telling anybody to go home and sell all your possessions on Facebook for sale or anything like that, because we all have different callings. But I do know this. We are all called to be generous. And many people, many people stop right there in that verse where Jesus talked about the camel and the eye of the needle. They stop reading right there. They get nervous right there. Not realizing that just a couple verses later, in the next chapter, we find another rich man by the name of Zacchaeus. And this time, this wealthy man has the right heart. And he was a chief tax collector. Now, you need to understand that during this time period, tax collectors were seen as people that were despised, neglected, and frowned upon by society and were often outcast because during that time, tax collectors were often the Jewish people that would go and work for the Roman government in order to tax their own people. And they would often steal and cheat money from their own people by asking for more taxes than what were required. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So he was like a head honcher, right? Like he was the boss of other tax collectors and everything like that. So he was wealthy. He was doing good for himself. But the Bible says that he was also short. And it says that he was so short that one time whenever Jesus was trying to pass by, it says that Zacchaeus climbed up into a sycamore tree. You probably heard this in Sunday school, right? He climbed up in a sycamore tree, and Jesus is passing by. And I love Jesus. Jesus does the unthinkable. It says that as Jesus is passing by, Zacchaeus, that Jesus makes a beeline straight to Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree. A wealthy man. Zacchaeus is in the tree. And he's saying, Zacchaeus, come down from there because today I'm going to be a guest at your house. I'm going to your house today. So Zacchaeus comes down. And you know what all the religious snobby people around them were thinking? Oh, my gosh. Does Jesus know who he's talking to? He just stole, that guy just stole money from my cousin last week. That guy's a notorious sinner. What is Jesus doing? Associating himself with him. But if you think about it, none of us are too different from Zacchaeus. It says that he was short. And because of a tree, he saw Jesus. And the scripture says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the only reason we can receive grace from God and see Jesus is because one day Jesus hung up on a tree. He hung up on a cross. Come on, is anybody here thankful that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost? That Jesus loved the unlovable? That Jesus stepped into time? He hung up on a tree even though we were short. So Zacchaeus goes to... Jesus spends time with Zacchaeus at his house. And here's what makes Zacchaeus different from the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus, before Jesus even asked him to do anything, if Jesus was even going to ask him to do anything, he tells Jesus, because he desired Jesus more than his possessions, he said, Lord, I'm going to sell half of my possessions, and I'm going to pay back and give it to the poor, and I'm going to pay back anybody I ever stole money from four times over. And Jesus responds by saying, salvation has come to your house today. So think about this. Zacchaeus was the camel that made it through the eye of the needle. Whenever I think about those two characters in scripture, 
I, I, I associate the rich young ruler as like a wee satch tree. Possessions possess, it's mine. And then I think of the rich young ruler being like a wee satch tree. And then I think of Zacchaeus being like a redwood tree. Allowing the blessings of God to flow through him. Even if he abused it, even if he got it the wrong way, he was like, you know, Jesus is more important than this. Other people are more important to this. And here's my question for you this morning. Is this making sense to you so far, church? you enjoying this? My question is, which one of the two men are you more like? And this is what I was asking myself this week. Which one of the two men am I more like? The rich young ruler or Zacchaeus? And I understand according to the world standards, you aren't royalty like the rich young ruler, but according to the word of God, it says that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen generation. But if we're being honest, many of us are living so much better than kings and queens and royalty back in ancient times. We have so many things accessible and available to us today. And the question is, if God ever put it on your heart to bless someone with something that you treasure and you value, and you value in order to bring more glory to God, would you be able to do it? Because the issue and the problem is, is we live in a society and we live in a world where we are taught to take, keep, and get. Men and women are taught to take, keep, and get. And then in the marketplace, we are taught to conquer, to dominate, to take over, to, you know, reign supreme accord, uh, compared to the competition and everything. And whenever Jesus came, Jesus came and he flipped the script and he flipped things upside down and he told us, no, in order to get, you must first give. In order to be great, you have to serve. If you want to go up, you got to go down. This is stuff that some people don't want to hear. So my dad tells it to me like this. He says, son, there shouldn't be something in our lives that we hold on to that we have too tight of a grip of. Because there may be a day where God moves on our heart to be a blessing to someone or to sow it. You have to be able to hold on to things without having a too grip on things, too much of a grip on them. You know, there's a saying that people are called to love people and use money, but oftentimes we get it backwards. We love money and we use people. We love money and we use people. And the Bible says, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. So money itself, it's a tool, it's a resource. It's, it's not evil within itself, but whenever it grabs a hold of our heart, and it makes us become somebody that we were never, ever meant to be and called to be. We cannot allow possessions to possess us. We need to remember what ultimately matters, and that's Jesus, and that's other people, and that's, sitting, that's the person that's sitting next to you, and that leads me to my second point this morning. People are more precious than possessions. People are more precious than possessions. If you learned one thing during the winter freeze that we had a couple weeks ago, you probably learned this. If you had certain things that need to be kept in a fridge or freezer, whenever they don't have a fridge or freezer, they expire very quickly, right? And I'm sure many of you had to throw out some stuff and, oh my gosh, all this stuff expired. And I saw some other people get smart. They put their stuff outside because it was colder outside than it was in their fridge. I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, I didn't think of that, right? But can I tell you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long we try to keep stuff good and how long we try to keep stuff running. Everything on this planet has an expiration date. Those, that canned food, 
has an expiration date. Milk, you ever seen it? Like you buy something, like what's the expiration date on it before you eat it? Have you ever ate something that was expired? Oh my gosh, like, okay, it's the worst. Sometimes you're looking at the chips like, oh, that expired last month. It's okay right now. It's okay right now. We're going to eat some. Anyway, so things have, your car has an expiration. One day that car will be in a junkyard somewhere. I don't care how long, how far from now. Everything has an expiration date. But can I tell you one thing in life that doesn't have an expiration date? That is your soul. That is other people. You're not going to be able to take the things that we see and have in our life with us into heaven, but turn to the person next to you. You're going to be taking that person next to you, next to you to heaven with you. To heaven. And what I mean by this is this, y'all. I think it's important for us to value people's eternal destination when it comes to heaven and to care about where people go. But at the same time, that also means, y'all, people more precious than possessions. Not only should we care about their eternal destination, but we should care about their physical needs here on this earth. For example, Jesus, I think of Jesus, he ministered to the thousands. He performed miracles, signs, and wonders. He fed people spiritually. There were times where he was preaching, and there would be thousands of people, and they'd be there for days and days listening to Jesus. They wanted to hear more of Jesus, more than they wanted to eat some food. And there was a time where the people became hungry, and it says that he looked over the multitude. He looked over the thousands with compassion. And not only did he feed them spiritually, but the Bible says that he used the disciples. The disciples did it. He put in the hands of the disciples and they multiplied the fishes and the loaves. so not only could the spiritual needs of the people be met but also the physical needs of people be met so that tells me that Jesus isn't just concerned about the condition of my soul but Jesus is also concerned about my circumstance Jesus cares about the spiritual and Jesus cares about the physical I came to tell you today God really does care about your needs. He cares if you don't have enough money to pay the bills, to stay in that house. He cares if you don't have enough food in your pantry or food on your table. God cares if you don't have, you know, he cares if you don't have enough. He cares about your needs. And in the same way, the church, we shouldn't just be concerned about meeting spiritual needs. I think those things are great, but we should also be concerned about meeting the actual needs of people. And I'm thankful that I go to a church that does both. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to feed each other spiritually. But at the same time, let us never turn the blind eye to somebody's physical needs. Let us check up on one another and say, hey, how are you doing today? Is everything good? Hey, do you need something? Why? Because we don't just care about the spiritual. We have to care about the physical as well. And I'm telling you right now, when we go out into the community and people have physical needs and we show the love of Christ to them, by us meeting physical needs in the community, we can change people's spiritual destination, their eternal destination, because God begins to do something in their hearts and in their lives by the seeds that we're able to deposit, by the generosity that we're able to have. That's why we have the Riverside Co-op. That's why we do outreaches every single month, because the church was called to meet needs together. I didn't come just to tickle ears this morning. I want to read a powerful Strong scripture to you this morning. Get ready. Tell the person next to you, get ready. First John chapter 3, verse 17 says this. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need 
and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Haley can come up. We are called to serve one another. We are called to be servants. You know that in the kingdom of God, you can't get any higher of a title or position than that of a servant. And you know what servants do? Servants see needs, but not only do we see needs, we help meet the needs. Jesus said it like this. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve, and I came to give my life as a ransom for many. He led by example. Can you imagine what we could do as a church, y'all? I want you to think about this. I want you to close your eyes just for a second. Can you imagine what could take place as a church if we weren't like a Weeshatch, but we were like a Redwood? We weren't like the rich young ruler, but we were like Zacchaeus. Where we were able to meet needs. Can you imagine how many people we'd be able to bless? How many souls could be saved? And here's how it's going to happen. It's not going to happen by the gifts and the talents of a few. The church was not called to be be built off the gifts and talents of a few. The church isn't built on just me speaking up here and talking to you guys. The church isn't just built by elders. God builds the house and he uses people. He wants to use you. It's not supposed to be built off of the, the gifts and talents of a few. It's supposed to be built off of the sacrifices of many people coming together. Come on, you can open your eyes. You can stand to your feet this morning. What kind of tree are you? I know this is a challenging, challenging message, but this is what God, this is what the Holy Spirit put on my heart, and I want to be obedient. What kind of tree are we? Were you blessed by this morning? I know it's a challenging message, but we're getting ready to close. Here's my closing thought to you. Your love and service towards others is a reflection of your love and service towards God. Your love and service towards other is, others is a reflection of your love and service towards God. The Bible says that if we can't love a brother or sister that we can see, how can we love a God that we can't see? We are called to love and serve one another. And here's how we're going to do it. Here's the weekly challenge for you. Here's how we're going to get started. I'm so excited about this, y'all. This weekly challenge is this. Show an act of service or generosity towards a brother or sister in Christ this week. I want us to take this seriously. And that could mean that you cover somebody's meal at a restaurant. You cover, you cover somebody's meal at a drive-thru. That could mean that maybe you have it on your heart to, to make a meal for a family. And say, hey, we're gonna, don't worry about cooking dinner tonight. We're going to bless you. That could, be, that could mean a number of different things. Maybe, maybe that could mean maybe you have a certain trait or certain skill, and you know that somebody needs help with a certain thing at their house or a project. Say, hey, I got some time today. You know, is it okay if I come over? Do you need help with that? Or maybe that could be just simply sitting down, getting some coffee, listening to someone, encouraging them and just showing them, hey, I care. I love you. Everything's going to be all right. I feel like this is just a, a somber, sober moment right now where God's beginning to deal with some people's hearts right now, where possessions have possessed your heart for far too long. 
But right now, the Holy Spirit's taking that greed, taking the lust of the flesh that we have and transforming that and transitioning that and allowing you to be like a redwood tree that allows the blessings of God to flow through you, in you, and around you. Let's pray together with every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that it fell on the right soil and the right hearts. Right now, Jesus, we come against greed. We come against pride. We come against every tormenting thought. Even right now in this moment, we come against depression. We come against lack. We come against poverty. We come against sickness. We come against anything that would keep us from walking in your perfect will. And we speak right now, Jesus, and we prophesy that we will be a church that is so generous that it's going to blow the socks off of other people. They're not going to realize or understand how we're able to function or how we're able to operate, but it's because of people that are planted by the rivers of living water like redwood trees where we hold each other up, where we're generous, where we're loving, where we're consistent. Lord Jesus, have your way today. Come on, if you believe that, can you go ahead and worship God? 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 Can you go ahead? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.